It's a damn tough life full of toil and strife we weathermen undergo. And we don't give a damn when the gale is done, how hard the winds did blow. Cause we're homeward bound from the Arctic ground with a good ship taut and free. And we won't give a damn when we drink our rum with the girls of old Maui. Rolling down to old Maui, me boys, rolling down to old Maui. We're homeward bound from the Arctic ground, rolling down to Welcome old Welcome to Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements. I'm Mark. And I'm Ben. And uh, this is like our penultimate uh chapter our our penultimate episode on the book i think it's book. fair to call the chase second day chapter 134 the penultimate chapter of moby dick there is the epilogue after the chapter after this one but i would not consider it a chapter because it's not numbered or labeled as a chapter it's the epilogue so this yeah, is no, the you're right. penultimate chapter of moby dick i think the thing that i was uncertain was about was like you and i have discussed the idea of doing kind of a like wrap-up episode mm. after the and i don't think we've actually yet fully made up our minds about whether we're going to do that i don't know yeah, we'll see what comes up but my position is even if we do one of those that's still not one of the reading episodes right this is still the penultimate episode of new moby dick content within the book itself that that is true yeah um speaking of which it is also you know uh a chapter partway through the pursuit of the eponymous whale. Yes. So this this is chapter one thirty four, the chase second day. Um. So, yeah, they're um, chasing they, for the they, second day. They sure are. Uh, <laughs> this this episode, this episode, this chapter, this chapter and this episode. Yes. Uh, opens with um. We're having a bit of trouble because it's a, a one chapter episode, and that always causes us to get a bit wires crossed about it. Does it? Has this happened before? I thought we at least once before said this episode when we met this chapter, this chapter when we met this episode. So that has were... that has happened, but I don't think uh I don't think it's had anything to do with whether it was more than one chapter per episode. I think I've just said it wrong. Oh. Well I was giving a reason. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, but In any case, let's get to the whale. Yes. Uh, there's so... only one whale, and it is important. Yes. So, um, at the end of the last chapter, they, um, basically, you know, when night falls, it's not possible to, like, keep actually trying to chase the whale. You can't lower for them. Yeah, you can't see where they are. But um, you can continue to pursue them. Yes, and, uh, the, the Pequod has been, like, sailing in the direction that Ahab believes Moby Dick is going at the speed that he believes Moby Dick is going to travel at all night long. Um, and... We... Oh, sorry. We first realize that, uh, or rather, when the curtain rises on the next day, and literally with daybreak, it is revealed that Moby Dick is nowhere in sight. They must have uh, gone too slow, and Ahab's of the opinion that they have gone slightly slower than Moby Dick. But it's fine, because they can go much faster once they pile on sail. Yeah, yeah. He, he basically is like, oh, Moby Dick was going faster overnight than I thought he was. Um... And this is a uh, occasion for Ishmael to kind of explain that um, this like practice of uh, pursuing a whale overnight, even when you know you have no like visual guides to navigate by, is 
not, like, unusual for... It is a thing by no means unprecedented in the South Sea fishery. I think he uses the phrase by no means unprecedented a lot, given the phrase. I, I can believe that's happened before, yeah. Um, and it's, uh, like, he, he compares the ability of, like, a, a Nantucket uh, whaleman. I think specifically a, a whale captain, because yes. that's who would be setting the course. Yeah, yeah. To... he says, For such is the wonderful skill, prescience of experience, and invincible confidence acquired by some great natural geniuses among the Nantucket commanders. So he definitely means the captains, and also he means, like, the really special, important, and genius captains. As we know, that is Ahab. Yes. That they're able to, basically, uh, with a, a whale moving in the middle of the ocean they're able to accomplish the kind of thing that like a pilot might be able to do with a coast that he's very familiar with where like as he you know he's as he's leaving uh one one as he's going out of sight of like one spit of land he can like sail out in the open ocean not in sight of any land and know when he'll have to turn back in towards the land to get to the place that he's going to, because, like, he knows exactly how long this coast is, and he knows how fast his ship is traveling, and so he doesn't have to literally have the land in sight all the time uh, to accurately get where he's going. And that's, like, that's, like, basically a normal thing that a decently yeah, skilled pilot should be able to do. You're navigating off a chart, you're navigating off your knowledge of the area. It's not super complicated to be able to, you know, do that. However... Doing it with a moving whale, which is a living thing that does not want you to catch it, and which is moving through the ocean at some unknown speed, that is a lot more impressive, I'll say it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's basically treating uh, a, a moving and, like, ever-changing feature of the ocean, that, as you say, a living animal that's trying to run away from you, yes. as, as something that you can navigate by as surely as, like, just a... A well-known piece of coast. Yes. And it specifically results from following the whale all day and marking it and, like, being able to read its wake. So that he, um, he says, and I really love this phrase, So that to this hunter's wondrous skill, the proverbial evanescence of a thing rid in water, awake, is to all desired purposes well-nigh as reliable as the steadfast land. And as the mighty iron leviathan of the modern railway is so familiarly known in its every pace, that, with watches in their hands, men time his rate as doctors that of a baby's pulse, and lightly say of it, the up-train or the down-train will reach such and such a spot at such and such an hour. Even so, almost, there are occasions when these Nantucketers time that other leviathan of the deep, according to the observed humor of his speed. And, yeah. like, that so, idea of total regularity of whale is wild. Yeah, so they can... They can uh, judge uh, what what direction and, like, space in the water the whale is going to move, just as a pilot judges the land. And they can judge, like, the, the whale's speed and, like, intervals of motion just as well as, like, people can, uh, you know, predict trains by timetables. Yes. Um. And I like the, the proverbial evanescence of something ridden water where it's like ah you think water is changeable and uncertain just as you think that the future wake of the whale cannot be seen in the current wake of the whale but i tell you actually to a whaleman both of these things are entirely accessible and knowable yeah yeah it's 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 cool um huh. however he does mention that none of this matters at all if you get becalmed and if the uh the ocean and wind do not like at least support your ability to, tr to move because the whale can swim without a wind so you might know where the whale is and where he's going 
but unless you have wind, you won't catch the whale. Yes. Uh, so, uh, this, this certainly does, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of making it clear that on the one hand, there is, like, enormous skill that is possible in a, in a whaler. Um, enormous skill that Ahab has. But at the same time, that, like, there's always, like, a huge element of, of chance. Uh, or that, fate. Of, or fate, yes. There's a, there's a large element which no human skill can, uh, make up for. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Pequod has significant wind, as we can see from the fact that, uh, the ship tore on, leaving such a furrow in the sea as when a cannonball, missent, becomes a plowshare and turns up the level field. So, the Pequod is just blasting along in full sail. Yes. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, Stubb is excited about it. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, Stubb is uh, insisting that his backbone has become a keel and someone should launch him like a boat, which is just a, a weird thing to say. And also, Stubb, I don't think you actually want someone to throw you overboard. You really don't want anyone to take you literally. Don't say something that stupid. <laughs> I mean, he's always making jokes. That's like his entire deal. So I don't think we can be shocked that at this point he's saying something totally ridiculous. That is obviously... like. This is one of those times where he says something that you know is a joke. That's Yeah, fair enough. But the the idea of the the keel and the spine will actually come back again, so I wanted to note it. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um In fa and uh also, someone yells Thar she blows. Yes, someone someone cites a spout, and uh so, uh off they go. Um everyone everyone is uh like in a in a flurry of activity. Um and are now, like, like all the sort of diverse, like, characters of people on this ship are united into a, a single whole in pursuit of, uh, in pursuit of the whale. Which, yes. which is honestly, you know, we've been talking about that concept this entire time. That yes. The, the Pequot is this, uh, unification of, like, all different types of man. Um. Yes, and there's this, um... This uh, paragraph that I really quite like, which is about how, like, the frenzies of the chase have by this time worked them bubblingly up, like old wine worked anew. There's this idea that, like, all of their fear, all of their uncertainty has been submerged within the chase. And the speed of the Pequod and the uh, perils of the previous day, uh, the, like, even just the fact that you're hurtling through the darkness unseen, unseeing at night... All of that has sort of combined to um, absolutely, uh, like, combine their intentions. The, the phrase it uses, their hearts were bowled along. Yes. They can no longer sort of control themselves. They are driven towards the whale. Uh, and I also love this, um, you know, this idea that the wind that made great bellies of their sails and rushed the vessel on by arms invisible as irresistible. This seemed the symbol of that unseen agency which so enslaved them to the race. And I think that must be Ahab's agency, or his, his drive, his purpose, because that is the unseen agency that has sort of bowled them all over and driven them together. Yeah, that's, that is the kind of the, the, like the, the spirit with which Ahab has like inspired everyone, the, the mm -hmm. thing that he's putting into people when he keeps his magnet at their brains. Yes, and the next, the next paragraph is also really great. I, I realize I'm reading a lot, but there's just a lot of good language at the end of the book. Yeah, I mean, I think that this, uh, this, this particular paragraph, if you want to read this whole thing, I think that would make sense, because I think it, it really yep. speaks to that, that thematic point that we were talking about, which has been throughout the entire novel, but, like, this is where it's really, like, just stated. Yes. 
They were one man, not thirty, for as the one ship that held them all, though it was put together of all contrasting things, oak and maple and pine wood, iron and pitch and hemp, yet all these ran into each other in the one concrete hull, which shot on its way, both balanced and directed by the long central keel. Even so, all the individualities of the crew, this man's valor, that man's fear, guilt and guiltiness, all varieties were welded into oneness, and were all directed to that fatal goal which Ahab, their one lord and keel, did point to. So yeah, the, the Pequot has become Ahab's singular body, and he its spine and its soul. Um, I note that of the things the Pequot is made from, the one that was most remarked on earliest is completely unmentioned here, which is sperm whale bone. The whale yeah. ivory Pequod is currently all described in terms of wood and pitch and rope. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's interesting that that's not mentioned. Yeah, especially since we already know that part of Ahab's body is sperm whale ivory. That's true. Um, and uh, the uh, amazing way this is described, the rigging lived, which means there, mm. there are the rigging is completely full of men. Everyone is trying to cite the spout. Yes. Um, and, uh, Ahab is a bit frustrated when they cry out, thar she blows, you know, everyone's, uh, you know, frenzied and prepared, and then a few minutes go by, and he's like, well? Yeah, and, and his, his immediate response to this is to say that, like, well, why are you not, like, don't, you must be seeing it, why aren't you singing out? Uh, but then, uh, then his conclusion actually is, like, okay, the first spout was a mistake because there's no way that Moby Dick would just spout once and then disappear for this long. Um, yes. Uh, and in fact, the narration agrees with him. It was even so in their headlong eagerness, the men had mistaken some other thing for the whale spout. Uh, and in fact, this is specifically made evident, uh, by the fact that as soon as, uh, pretty much as soon as Ahab gets up on his little like rope basket in the rigging, uh, Moby Dick is sighted, but just much closer than they thought he was. And not just sighted, Moby Dick breaches. Yes, you're right. That's I should not have uh, I should not have buried that lead. Moby Dick breaches like close to the Pequod. Yes, the the great white whale, the immense and terrible Leviathan, bursts bodily from the water and hurls himself into the air. This is described very impressively, uh, though not as extensively as other descriptions of whale actions, especially Moby Dick's have been. It's much more like the punctuation to, as soon as Ahab goes aloft, there's the whale, and we see him, and it's undoubtedly him. It's not like, oh, we see a spout in the distance, it's the entire whale, right nearby, in midair. Yes. Um, I, I wonder if part of the reason that this specific motion is I mean, described with a lot of attention, but not as much detail as other ones mm -hmm. have been, is that uh, Ishmael expects people to know what a whale breaching is. Mm, it has been discussed like. before, I suppose. And well, not just that it's been discussed before, but also that I think that people, like, a whale breaching is, like, a, a pretty famous thing. Like, I I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe this wasn't the same thing in, in the 1850s, but I feel like most of our listeners probably have some sense of what a whale breaching looks like. You've seen pictures of it, mm -hmm. um, etc. Um, it's impressive. It is. Uh, it's kind of a, a funny little uh, powermobydick.com detail. There's a, um, you know, there's a, there's a note on the word breaching, uh, which describes it as leaping out of the water and then links to a YouTube video of uh, a whale breaching. And there's a note, Nota bene, this link makes noise. 
Just in case you were reading PowerMobyDick.com oh. in on a library computer. <laughs> um, now there is also a link. You think you'd be reading like the Moby Dick copy they almost certainly have in the library in that context? I mean, I live in an apartment with a paper copy of Moby Dick, and uh, yet this is true. <laughs> Such a beautiful copy, too. It is, but it, but Ben, it doesn't mm. have a little link to a video of a uh, whale breaching with a helpful note that the video makes noise. It has it has woodcuts of whales breaching somewhere. I'm sure. That's true. The woodcuts are really good. <sighs> I but, love this brick of a book. Anyways. Yeah, that book is, like, bigger than a brick. That book is, like, three bricks together. This book is a cinder block. Yeah, sure. Anyways. Um, uh, but uh, I also want to mention, though, because I think this is also very funny, is that uh, the next note in PowerMobyDick.com is citing... Uh, there's the, the there's a sentence that describes Moby Dick's breaching as salmon-like. Uh, and PowerMobyDick.com also has a note on salmon-like to say that this is about, like salmon swimming upstream and that also links to a youtube video of salmon swimming upstream Look, clearly when our faithful sub sub got to annotating this part of powermobydick.com they were just excited about putting uh putting youtube video links in i know i just think it's funny that one youtube link gets a warning and one doesn't also i think we know Maybe the salmon is more quiet the annotations by the way are by Margaret Guroff. Yes, you've we've, mentioned. We've talked yes. about this before. Every the, on the bottom of every. Uh, I think it's perfectly fair to call Margaret Guroff a sub sub librarian in this case. Oh yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I mean it with great kindness. Yeah, no. <laughs> Anyways, uh, also I really like the note um, that uh, first of all, uh, the breaching can be seen to the distance of seven miles and more. Yeah. So the whale breaching is immensely visible. There is no question. There is no uncertainty. Ahab was correct in his marking of Moby Dick's motions. It was this direction, and now they have found him. Yep. Uh, and the... um. Mm, I do love this description as well, which is uh, so suddenly seen in the blue plain of the sea and relieved against the still bluer margin of the sky. The spray that he raised for the moment intolerably glittered and glared like a glacier and stood there gradually fading and fading away from its first sparkling intensity to the dim mistiness of an advancing shower in a veil. So Moby Dick breaching is just surrounded by this impossible shower of light that you can't even look at from its reflections of the sun yes <sighs> and of course it's time to lower now uh, ah breach your last to the sun moby dick cried ahab thy hour and thy harpoon are at hand yeah um and uh you know everyone everyone lowers um and uh, it, it's it's uh, it's three boats crews because again, recall Starbuck is staying on the on the ship, so it's Ahab's crew, Stubbs and Flasks. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, Moby Dick has turned down upon the Pequod. Yes, uh, Mo Moby Dick and is charging the uh, boats as they're put into the water. Yes, uh, and Ahab is uh, is like, all right, I'm gonna like meet Moby Dick head on, uh, which is. You know, like, literally, he's going to pull his boat directly up to the whale's forehead. Yeah, he's going to uh, go head-to-head. -head. He's going to play chicken. He's going to just drive directly down towards Moby Dick, which it's noted is not, like, bad whaling practice, because the whale can't see directly in front of it. Yes. 
however, before he's able to do that, uh, the whale, like, charges. Yes, the white whale churning himself into furious speed, uh, almost as an instant as it were, rushing among the boats with open jaws and a lashing tail, offered appalling battle on every side. So, the harpoons are darted, the whale is charging in and frothing up the water and fighting, um, and the boats, uh, manage not to be destroyed, despite Moby Dick very clearly intending to destroy them. Uh, they wheel aside and avoid his, uh, thrashings. Yes, but they are, as you said, the harpoons have been darted. At this point, I think all three boats are are fast to Moby Dick, mm-hmm. uh, which means that because he is, like, uh, you know, spinning around and, like, swimming around and in... In uh, untraceable evolutions. Yes. That is um, how the book puts it. This basically, like, tangles up the lines and actually pulls the boats close in towards him, uh... Which uh, puts them in danger because there are all these harpoons stuck in Moby Dick. Well, not just harpoons stuck in Moby Dick. It's remember that each harpoon has a second harpoon tied to the same line, at least. And so after they've been darted, there's just a harpoon that is now, because the line is played out, bouncing around in the water. This is a previously stated danger of the whaling Yes, yes. And so there's this tangle with a bunch of harpoons bouncing around in it. Yes, well, I was also speaking of... There's this bit where it says uh, that that Moby Dick's movements warped the devoted boats towards the planted irons in him. Yes, it's it's pulling them in towards Moby Dick. Yes, yes. I'm just saying, I think planted irons in him strongly suggests the harp. I I think it is the Those are the planted ones that are being pulled in, but the danger immediately thereafter is, you know, um, Ahab has paid out more line that was rapidly hauling and jerking it upon in upon it again, hoping that way to disencumber it of some snarls, when lo, a sight more savage than the embattled teeth of sharks, caught and twisted, corkscrewed in the mazes of the line, loose harpoons and lances with all their bristling barbs and points came flashing and dripping up to the chalks in the bows of Ahab's boat. Yes, no, I, I agree. I was just trying to say I think that two dangers are being enumerated here. Yes. Um... But I think that the danger of being pulled in by the whale because you are, you know, fast in on him is not really... It's a danger you know about. It's a danger you expect. Whereas this tangle is uh, is more of a catastrophe. Yes, that's true. And uh, it, it requires Ahab to uh, pull off this kind of deft maneuver where um, he has to kind of... I, I'm a little unclear on, like, literally what is physically happening here, but he basically has to, like reach into the uh the bundle that yeah the tangle of of harpoons and like uh cut it loose from the line without uh totally severing cuttering. the main line yeah without severing the main well, line so the way this works is because there's two lines spliced together into sort of a y shape on the main line what he's doing is there's this tangle in the air and the water between him and moby dick Ahab is pulling in the line enough to get to that Y space, possibly on someone else's line, where the two, or to find the end of one of the loose harpoons on its end of the, its branch of the Y, and cutting it off there, so that only the harpoon is cut free. So the line remains between the planted harpoon and the boat. Yes, uh, so, and, and, and this is, the, the way this is physically described, I think you'll understand why I was a little unclear. Seizing the boat knife, he critically reached within, through, and then without the rays of steel, dragged in the line beyond, passed it inboard to the bowsman, and then, twice sundering the rope near the chalks, dropped the intercepted faggot of steel into the sea, and was all fast again. 
Um, yeah, it's possible that... Um, I don't think they can cut the line because they need the spool to control it. So it's, they're definitely not cutting the main line. But I think that the twice cutting is to cut off two extra harpoons. Mm. I was picture. Yeah, I, I guess I... I have to believe you. I, I don't think I'm... My point in reading that passage was to be like, this is a very complicated little rope maneuver. And yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I think it's understandable that I don't... Yeah, yeah, no. Absolutely. Uh, but, but yeah. Uh, and then, unfortunately, um, the white whale uses this as a uh, uh, a moment to strike. Yes, and, and he uh, specifically, Moby Dick, like, dashes toward... Uh, the other lines, the lines from the other two boats, and is able to kind of, like, drag the two of them together and and dash them against each other. Yes. The two of them are both, um, are both, you know, fast on Moby Dick. So when he yanks them, and their lines are still tangled, unlike Ahab, whose, you know, line is coming free, uh, those two are slammed together, and then Moby Dick dives. So the boats are not only, like, broken, but... They can't spool out line, and so the wreckage is dragged down as well. Yeah. Um. And, uh, yeah, at, at, at this point, you know, now Ahab is just kind of trying to rescue people from the other two boats. Uh, and, you know, everyone is, you know, two out of three boats totally destroyed. Things are already looking pretty bad. And then... Uh, Moby Dick surfaces directly under Ahab's boat, knocking it up into the air and spinning it end over end. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, and, and uh, just a massive uh, uh, strike. Ahab's yet unstricken boat seemed drawn up towards heaven by invisible wires. So this is not the rising bite that Moby no. Dick previously used to like sever Ahab's previous boat. It's just punching with his uh, forehead. Yeah, and uh, Ahab's boat comes down, like, upside down, so they all have to swim out from underneath it. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh, having done this, uh, Moby Dick proceeds to sort of lie, I think, on his side, um, and, like, so slowly feeling around the scene of uh, the carnage, well, the boat carnage. Uh, there's, like, chips in the water, there's wood floating everywhere, feeling around with his flukes, and whenever he comes near a, a large piece of ship and touches it, he then strikes it with his fl tail, instantly breaking it further. So Moby Dick is very consciously and visibly consciously destroying every trace of these boats that he can sense. Yes. Uh, and then at some point, uh, you know, as as... Zishmael puts it, as if satisfied that his work for that time was done. Um, like, I guess there's no large piece of timber left. Uh, he mm -hmm. swims away. Yep, trailing af after him, the intertangled lines. So the harpoons darted into him remain in him. Yes. And he travels onward. <sighs> Meanwhile, uh, Starbuck on the ship, who's, you know, been told not to take part in this, uh, and, you know, just to be nearby with the ship, uh, comes bearing down, drops a boat, and picks up the floating mariners, tubs, oars, and whatever else could be caught at, and safely landed them on her decks. Yeah, so this is basically the same thing that happened yesterday. The, the ship comes to the rescue. Um, and, uh... But no fatal or even serious ill seemed to have befallen anyone. Yeah. So nobody's badly injured. There's sprains and contusions. There's damaged lances. But... Nothing is left, uh, no, there's no bodies. Yes, and, and there's no, like, it, 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 
it seems like actually in some ways this is not quite as I mean, all the boats are gone, uh, but also... We have backup boats. Yes, and, like, um, Ahab has made it out of this a little easier than he did last time, because he had a larger piece of boat to float on, mm-hmm. um, so he's not suffering And also didn't get sucked down into a horrible whirlpool. Yes. Uh, so, you know, uh, but when he comes on board, um, he's still, like, uh, the object of a lot of, like, fearful... Uh, stairs because his ivory leg has been almost totally snapped off leaving but one sharp sharp splinter and so he has to lean on starbuck um <sighs> and uh, he has a very good line here as he uh, leans on starbuck uh like you know half you know like arm over his shoulder he says aye aye starbuck tis sweet to lean sometimes be the leaner who he will and would old Ahab had leaned oftener than he has. Which is this moment of, like, softness that you don't expect out of Ahab. Yeah, there's definitely, I think, in this scene of, like, Ahab leaning on Starbuck with, with his ivory leg gone and, like, the the conversation that ensues. I think there is, like, a little bit of a tenderness between Ahab and Starbuck. Yeah. Um, although not, you know... It's too little, too late, but uh, yeah, it is yeah, there. as it usually is. Yeah, but, uh, but, but it it is. You know, he's kind of when he says would old Ahab had leaned oftener than he has. I think this is kind of referring back to that thing he talked about in that moment that they had, where he's like, "I've lived this like horrible solitary captain's life, mm-hmm. and I've had like no one to talk to, no mm-hmm. one to like." I, I I haven't been able to depend on another human being. Mm-hmm. Um and uh Yeah, yeah. Um anyway, uh, uh The Carpenter also shows up just to say, I just made that leg. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and uh I put good work into that leg is how he puts it. Yes, and, and this is also a, a great chance for um for Ahab to express his his typical upsetting Ahab ideas about like what his body is well yeah because stub yeah stub says no bones broken sir i hope and ahab's answer is yes obviously one of my bones is broken you can see the splinters of it right there because you know it is a bone and it was yeah as far as it was a bone he owned certainly yes uh (laughs) but uh and and you know Uh, literally do you want to read this bit yeah sure i and all splintered to pieces stub do you see it but even with a broken bone, old Ahab is untouched, and I account no living bone of mine one jot more me than this dead one that's lost. Nor white whale, nor man, nor fiend can so much as graze old Ahab in his own proper and inaccessible being. Can any lead touch yonder floor, any mast scrape yonder roof? Aloft there, which way? Uh, so he is basically saying, like, I think my body is, like, not part of me. Uh, that... It's all just, even if I had literally had my leg snapped off, in no way would that touch me, Ahab, in my true self. Which is a wild thing to say for someone whose entire poisoned monomania of the brain was created by the loss of a limb. I mean, that's true. Uh, like, but... I mean, maybe the idea is that now any further similar loss would be pointless, because he has learned that, you know, Ahab is uh, inviolate. Yeah. That there is this further Ahab who is up against the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I love uh, this, when he talks about yonder floor, yonder roof, he means 
the the sea floor and like the vault of heaven. Yes, um. and his his inaccessibility is exactly like unto the world's. That he is, you know, no matter how deep you plunge into his body, you cannot touch his personality. Yes. He also has this excellent line shortly thereafter as Starbuck is helping him away towards the bulwarks. Yeah. Uh, oh, 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 how this splinter gores me now. A cursed fate that the unconquerable captain in the soul should have such a craven mate. And Starbuck's just like, sir? <laughs> Which is like, fair enough, right? And his yeah, yeah. response to that, my body, man, not thee. So like, his his body is his, like, uh, you know, faltering mate. Yeah, his, his Which, given, worthless second in command. Yeah, and to be clear, Starbuck has often been his faltering mate in a like very literal sense. His sentimental, uh, you know, lacking in will, lacking in courage mate. Yes, but I think in this moment, Ahab is yes. like, Starbuck is more helpful to me than my body. Yes. Um. Ahab's relationship with his body is... Very understandable and very grim. Yes. Like, it's not just that he's, you know, uh, oh yes, my, you know, soul is completely inaccessible, my body is, you know, mere matter, but it's also, my body has betrayed me again and again and again. My will is stronger than my body. And also, his body is literally missing a leg again and again and again because the leg keeps getting broken. Yes. Yes. <sighs> Anyway, though, uh, he does manage to lean on a shivered lance, and he, he's, like, calling everyone together to address them. Uh, but... But... It turns out... There is someone missing. Yeah, despite what was claimed earlier that everyone was fine after all well, the wrecks... the claim was that uh, nobody was injured and uh, no bones were broken. Yeah, well, also that... Uh, Which is doubly untrue, since no a bone was broken. No fatal or even serious ill seemed to have befallen anyone. Um, yeah, yeah. Which which is just, anyone present. Yes. But as it turns out, nobody's seen Fadala. Uh nobody yes. knows where he is. Um And they muster the entire like crew of the ship. Everyone is, you know, brought together and no one has seen Fadala at all. And uh Stub Ahab's mad. Ahab's afraid. Yeah, and, and, and Stubb is like, oh, I, I think I saw him. He was uh, caught in your line and dragged under. Um, so, like, caught in, in the line from Ahab's boat that was fast in Moby Dick. Um, and, uh... Ahab's having a Macbeth moment. Yeah, no, Ahab is deeply disturbed by this because, I mean, this, ab this accords with the thing Fidala said about how, like, he will go before. Yeah, I'll go before thee, thy pilot. Um, but then reappear to guide thee still. Yes, and so Ahab is, is thinking about this prophecy and, and uh, uh, you know. He's uh, also thinking about how the, um, the iron he forged to kill Moby Dick was darted and is now in the whale. Yes. Yes. Uh, um, he, um, you know... He's upset. I love his description of how, how he takes the word gone with, uh, when, you know, when it's referring to Fidala. Gone, gone, what means that little word? What death knell rings in it that old Ahab shakes as if he were the belfry? Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, but he does, you know, he's, he's afraid and, and upset, but he also, you know, this just drives him to insist that everyone, like, man the mastheads and, like, sail harder after the whale rig um, new boats to lower again yes and uh starbuck 
Oh, but no, there's this line here. We have to read this line. Uh, go for it. I'll ten times girdle the unmeasured globe, yea, and dive straight through it, but I'll slay him yet. Yeah. So even in this moment of, like, oh no, these things are coming true, these, you know, this this uh, prophecy has maybe uh, begun to find its mark, maybe the white whale is destined to destroy me, his response is no. I'm going to do it if I have to circumnavigate the globe ten times or, you know, go directly down into the ocean. Yes, and Starbuck, you know, begs him to give up at this point, that this mm-hmm. is, you know, it... Not just begs him, begs God. Yes, yeah, no, he's he's calling... He's, he's, uh, he, 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 he begs Ahab, uh, in Jesus' name, no more of this that's worse than devil's madness. Yes, but he also says, great God, but for one single instant, show thyself. Yes. Like, he's calling on God for a theophany to prove to Ahab that this is foolishness, that this will never succeed. He's calling for, like, the appearance of God to set straight this blasphemous old man. Yes. Uh, and, uh... You know, Ahab kind of, as I, as we said before, there's this, like, interesting connection between them in this moment, because Ahab says, Starbuck, of late I've felt strangely moved to thee, ever since that hour we both saw thou knowst what in one another's eyes. So he's like, yeah, we had this connection, mm-hmm. we saw something in each other, and so I am moved by what you say, but in this matter of the whale, be the front of thy face to me as the palm of this hand, a lipless, unfeatured blank. Ahab is forever Ahab, man. This whole act's immutably decreed. T'was rehearsed by thee and me a billion years before this ocean rolled. Fool. I am the fate's lieutenant. I act under orders. So he's basically saying, I I can't do other than this. Yes, Ahab is absolutely at this point set. (laughs) Swerve him? You would but swerve yourselves. Yeah. Ahab is utterly um, fixed in this, but now, I think it's now, and just previously, when he spoke of this thing in him which will not sleep, which will not stop, Ahab has come around from, you know, purely declaring it is will, his will, saying that it is will beneath his will. There's He cannot will what he will. He cannot change what his purpose is or turn himself aside from this thing that is his defining quality. Ahab is forever Ahab, man. Yes. And this is this is interesting because he's now embracing the sort of tragic element of his character. He's saying, you know, I don't have a choice. I am the fate's lieutenant. My monomania is stronger than any possibility of my turning aside. It is not a choice. It is my nature. Yes. Ah, oh, God. I also love this next line, you know, as he's, you know, speaking to the, the crew and saying that, no, no, this will continue. Stand around me, men. Ye see an old man cut down to the stump, leaning on a shivered lance, propped up on a lonely foot. Tis Ahab, his body's part. But Ahab's soul's a centipede that moves upon a hundred legs. I feel strained, half-stranded, as ropes that tow dismasted frigates in a gale, and I may look so. But ere I break, you'll hear me crack. Until ye hear that, know that Ahab's hawser tows his purpose yet. I love that line, but Ahab's soul's a centipede. Like, yes, I have only one leg. I have lost my leg, but my soul has a million legs. <laughs> well, a hundred, but you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he moves on, you know, on and on. He is driven constantly. He is never going to be still. Yes, and he, uh, he, he, you know, this is his chance to kind of, uh, 
he he's like making his own claim about omens you know starbuck has just been saying like you know with how everyone everything keeps going like this is these are the signs that this is a doomed chase and yep. Ahab two days chased twice stove to splinters thy very leg once more snatched from under thee thy evil shadow gone all good angels mobbing thee with warnings what more wouldst thou have yeah uh but uh it's Ahab says that actually uh believe ye men in the things called omens then laugh aloud and cry encore uh because his his argument now is that um things that drown rise twice to the surface and then sink so it makes sense that well, moby dick has it's rise twice to the surface then rise a third time to sink forevermore oh uh, yeah so he's claiming that on the third rising of moby dick he will sink forevermore and frankly ahab is constructing an omen here he's taking what is really not actually at all an unusual part of this event the fact that the whale keeps coming up to fight them the fact that they keep failing to kill the whale after two days that's unusual but he's insisting that actually this is part of an omen that you know a whale must effectively he's arguing that any whale that you hunt for three days will die yes 100 percent. he's he's uh he's doing his best to like come up with a way to convince the men that that his that his victory is certain yes um, and uh he says do you feel brave men brave and Stubb replies, As fearless fire, cried Stubb. And as mechanical, muttered Ahab. So part of what's going on here is that as the men go, he, you know, start, he keeps muttering, talking about how, you know, uh, he doesn't believe in omens, or at least he said so. He told Starbuck that omens are a, a weakness. To see omens is to be weak-willed. He's used them to turn the men, but he himself had scorned them to Starbuck, yet now he's seeing them. He's terrified of them because the first of Fidala's omens has come true. Yes. Yes. And, uh, and, and this is where he, like, he, he, he's kind of talking about and, like, thinking through Fidala's prophecy. Uh, and, and he, he describes it as, There's a riddle now might baffle all the lawyers backed by the ghosts of the whole line of judges. Like a hawk's beak, it pecks my brain. I'll, I'll solve it, though. So he's trying to figure out, like, what does it mean that Fidala's words are coming true? And uh, also, how can, um, you know, gone, gone, he was to go before, but still was to be seen again ere I could perish. How is that? So what he's saying is not just, you know, trying to figure out that the omens are coming true, but saying, well, how can this omen keep coming true? If the omen is true, that Fadala will go before me, then will appear before me before I can perish. What does that mean? How how will I know that he has appeared so I can take some kind of arms against fate? Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm definitely, like, very uh, sort of confused and, like, curious about... Um, I, I definitely thought uh, we would have seen some uh, some hearses, hearses by on now. The sea? Yeah. Uh... Ben's just making a face at me, guys. I'm waggling eyebrows. Uh, yeah. Look, do you think that omens must occur ere Ahab can be slain? Do you think the white whale is perhaps of great and terrible meaning, the hand of God in the world, or perhaps the diabolism within it, the truth with malice in it, all that cracks the brain and, you know, uh, dregs life to the lees or whatever it was Ahab said? Or do you think that it is merely a giant, particularly clever and malicious whale? These are the questions. These are the questions. <sighs> and uh, 
there is one more paragraph, but it's very much sort of finishing out the um, finishing out the chapter. The sail is you know set for the night, which means less sail, so they're going on less quickly. Uh, there's the sound of hammers and grindstone, and all night the men toil and prepare. They need to set up the backup boats. They need to resharpen harpoons and reset them, and generally rearm themselves. And uh, I. I love this, because Ahab's leg for, let us say, you know, the ultimate chapter, is not of sperm whalebone. It's, it's made out of the broken keel of his uh, wrecked boat. Yes. Ahab, it's unclear which of Ahab's wrecked boats this is. By now we have three to choose from. <laughs> there was the one destroyed in the storm. There was the one destroyed by Moby Dick on the first day. And now there's the one destroyed by Moby Dick on the second day. So... Which of those boats do you think got used for the keel? Which of those keels got used to carve down a leg for Ahab for this ultimate lowering? Yeah, I don't know. It really could have been any of them. I mean, I feel like the the one wrecked in the storm seems most likely for them to like still have the keel. But they did try to recover as much of the wood as they could mm -hmm. from the other one, so hard to say. I personally think that it should be the one from the storm, just because I think that's... Uh, most symbolically appropriate to me, but, you know, it is it is not specified in the text. <sighs> and then Ahab uh, stands once again, not sleeping, just watching the eastward, uh, the eastward horizon. Well, it's night, so you can't even see that. As they sail eastward, and uh, or I believe they're traveling east now? Uh, hmm. All I know is that uh, his hid heliotrope glance anticipatingly gone backward on its dial. He sat due eastward for the earliest sun. Yeah, I don't know that they're traveling eastward, but I think that he is trying to catch the earliest possible sunlight. Yes, he's definitely trying to catch the earliest possible sunlight. I know that when he was sailing for Moby Dick and their, their needles were turned, they were sailing west when they thought they were sailing east. So yeah. if... Moby Dick continued east, which, again, I don't remember if there's any mention of directions in the, the hurly-burly of the fight. Then they are continuing towards the sun and towards America. Yeah, um, yeah. I think there's a lot of symbolic reasons why Moby Dick might be fleeing east, but I don't remember if it was specified. Yeah, I don't think it has been, but, I, but you're right that, like, previously speaking, Moby Dick was swimming east and... and... Uh, sailing east was sailing towards Moby Dick. Yes, they've come all the way around the world to the uh, season on the line. Ah, <sighs> they've been sailing east basically the entire time. Actually, like you know, a lot of south and then north and a little bit of back and forth. But they went around. Um, they did go around Africa, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So that's chapter one thirty four, the penultimate chapter. Uh, Fadala is gone, presumed dead. Uh, Ishmael has completely vanished from the narrative. I just want to point this out that, like, Ishmael and Queequeg and, like, any of the character relationships that aren't with Ahab have completely vanished. Yeah, and I mean, it kind of makes a certain amount of sense in that Ishmael and Queequeg are both in Starbuck's boat. Yeah, yeah. So, so neither of them is in the chase. Um. That is true, but also at the same time, I think it's generally the case that, like, 
the narrative narrows down to Ahab and Moby Dick here in like such an intense way. Everything is focused in on Ahab. I think the entire chapter we just read, and I think basically the entire chapter of the first day as well, Ahab becomes the focal point of everything. There's no real turning of perspective away from him except to explain his actions. Yeah, no, I think that's true. Um, I think you are right about that. Um, I just think it's a very cool stylistic thing, and it really takes this, you know, vast, complicated, weird novel that goes all sorts of places and narrows it down to a harpoon's point as we approach the uh, the final confrontation. You're saying this this novel that is made out of all these different uh, materials. Yes, it has been, uh, it has all been brought together, its hearts bowled along by Ahab's will and draw, uh, drawn on Ahab's keel, yes. Cool. But yeah, no, there's a lot going on right now where... All of these things that have been built up throughout the novel and set up, and all of them have now sort of fallen into place. And there was even a discussion of it earlier where, like, you know, Ahab's overwhelming ego and mind and drive had been, like, sort of crushing the souls of the men so they hid beneath them like their shadows so that all of them are completely dedicated and driven and, like, part of this. And the narrative is reflecting that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, no mention of Pip. Uh, you know, I think that the only people mentioned by name in this chapter are, like, Fidala, Ahab, Stubb, Starbuck, and I think Flask briefly when he's yeah, in the water. Yeah, Flask is also mentioned, yeah. But, like, the Harpooners aren't mentioned, the, yeah. um, except maybe as the Harpooners. The crew has become sort of a single organism, and even the mates don't really have a lot of distinction except for that little line about fearless fire uh, fearless is fire uh, or as fearless fire um which you know is a callback to uh flask uh, or was it stub stub, stub previously stub. and this idea that stub is mechanical that he lacks the understanding of what's really going on and there's a way in which uh ahab's manipulation of omens is his manipulating the fact that they are mechanical that they can't see like real or meaningful symbols and actions in the world that you know on some level uh stub is easily led because he can't see the truth in things whereas yep. you know that strongly implies that while starbuck is perhaps over omening you know he's certainly right that these are not good omens yeah yeah so yeah do you have anything else you want to talk about for this penultimate chapter no honestly like i think uh i i'm i i do think we did a right the right thing in in having this chapter be on its own because i think trying to lump it in with the previous mm -hmm. day of the chase or certainly with the next one i'm expecting the next uh episode to have a lot to talk about but um well you know what what can happen <laughs> they'll either kill the white whale or they won't <laughs> Like, you know, we'll just be like, we'll show up, we'll say, hi, welcome to higgledy-piggledy-whale statements. Okay, so, Moby Dick's dead, or so, Moby Dick's not dead, and that's that's the end of the podcast, right? No more. We're done. You'll be like, so, Mark, a dead whale or a stove boat, and we'll <laughs> finally have the answer. You know what? That's true. We will finally have the answer uh, to what we sing for. Now, I, I will say several boats have been stove at this point. Yeah, no, at this point it's like, uh, they're going on, what, the fifth stove boat? Because there were three, no, no, the sixth, because there was one in the storm, mm -hmm. three in the first lowering, and three 
or no, it was only one in the first lowering. Yeah, it was just so eight one house. in the storm, one. In, so yes, we are on to we've had five stove boats. Well, six times the charm. <laughs> uh, all right, but until we get there, <laughs> what tune is it you pull to, men? A dead whale or a stove boat? 